Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, I have a question for you. And what I want to know is, what's a bigger deal? The new Cybertruck that's coming from Tesla or the improved Big Mac that is coming from McDonald's? And therefore, I want to start with the Cybertruck here. And here's the best paragraph I read. The Cybertruck, for all its many faults, lives up to its promise. Too many other EVs don't. A fully electric Ford F-150 Lightning is a technological feat that can power a house for up to three days. But from a distance, you can't tell it apart from its gas-powered cousin. Other EVs are even more wonderbred. The electric Hyundai Genesis G80 is so similar to its gas twin that it has been described as an EV in disguise. Toyota is working on a simulated stick shift for EVs that will let drivers pretend to manually shift gears, and many EVs spurt out fake engine noises. Some EVs, such as the retro-futuristic Hyundai Loan 6, are more sci-fi, but on the whole, car makers are trying to make the jump to EVs easier by sticking with the big grilled designs that drivers already know. That's apparently why Ford made the F-150 EV look so familiar. The car market is quite conservative because for most people, a car is the second biggest purchase they'll make. That tendency is dumbing down the truly world-changing capabilities of the electric car. And Don, the article just goes on to talk about the Cybertruck being a celebration of difference. It looks so dramatically different than any other car on the road. It has been built with many different engineering aspects and technical designs that other cars don't have. What do you think about this? And do you think this is a big deal that we have such a different vehicle on the road now? I love the idea of the Cybertruck. I've been following this since it for the idea first came out. I've had my uh, my mouse over the reserve one many, many times and not clicked reserve. Uh, the whole idea mm -hmm. of, as you know, I'm a car guy and the idea of electric was super cool and is super cool. And I think it's really neat. I drove by one a few weeks ago and I was like, oh, wow, there it is. Um, and so I think it's pretty quick, pretty neat. Um, it's, it's ultimately going to have, I think, limited effect because there are people that are, it's a tough market to get into. There's Ford people and there's Chevy people, Chevy people have a picture of Calvin peeing on a Ford symbol in the back of their truck and vice versa with Ford. And they, it's a tough market to break into. And it's an extremely profitable market. If you've got the business lined up and you went into a good points there with the quotes, but. I think part of the reason Ford went with the F-150 looking, electric F-150 looking just like the normal F-150 is cost savings. You can do the same body panels. You can do it on the same production line. You can do everything pretty much the same and just put a different power plant in it. And it saves a lot of money. Tesla start from scratch, not only with uh, a whole different platform, but also using stainless steel, which is really hard to roll. And they were struggling to get the stainless steel to stay flat. It's an expensive way to build a very different vehicle that looks really cool and may be widely adopted. I don't know, but I think it's sweet. I would go for it over the Ford one if I had the money. So you are in then. You like the design, even though it is so dramatically different. Oh, I love it. Although when I drove by it, it's shorter in life than I thought it'd be. I thought it'd be taller, but it is a big old vehicle. And I thought it was really interesting. If I was going to spend $80,000, $100,000 on a vehicle, I would definitely have it on my radar. But for the record, Zach, I'm not spending $10,000 on a new vehicle or another vehicle. So I, I'm, I'm far from that market.
According to their website, $61,000 is the starting price. I think if you get the fully loaded edition, you're looking at over $100,000. But that seems very comparable to a Chevy, Ford, or Chrysler truck in terms of what new trucks are going for nowadays. I've had struggled to look at the Cybertruck. I can't decide if it's the most hideous thing I've ever seen. It kind of reminds me a little bit of that GM Aztec, which was a terrible oh, looking car. That was an awful car. And therefore, like, I just can't decide if it's this hideous looking or is it just so different looking that it's just going to take some time to get used to? Because the reason why I liked this article was just pointing out that car design really is a conservative thing. I mean, it just seems like new models come out and most of the time SUVs kind of look like SUVs and cars look like cars. Maybe people are tinkering with edging or they're tinkering with the slope of a of a panel here or a light fixture here but nobody seems to go that dramatically different and I think you're right it must be a cost thing where you can keep using the same components and therefore maybe this will catch on but I also just wonder don't you think this comes down to whether or not contractors construction guys guys that actually need a truck for their job will buy into a cyber truck or not they will see it having utility or not, and they're going to decide whether or not this thing flies or dies. Uh, I disagree with you there. Um, I think that the uh, designing a new vehicle that's revolutionary and very different from everything else is usually a failure, rarely successful. And people uh, remember the, what was it, Oldsmobile Silhouette? It was a minivan that looked like a dustbuster. When that came out, people <laughs> were like, wow. And it just faded away fairly quickly. It started to look more and more like a normal minivan or SUV. People like what they like, and they don't do a lot of revolutionary stuff. That said, Tesla's built in a good market of revolutionary products. And the reason I disagree with you is people on the construction site I once talked to a construction worker. He said, find the worst truck on the site and you'll find the richest guy on the site driving it. You know, if you're a construction worker, you don't want a brand new truck. You gotta, if you're going to actually use it, you're going to bump it up and get it beaten up. You can have an old truck. That's just fine. I think the people that are going to buy this thing are people that want to drive a big old truck and feel like they're environmental, which isn't environmental at all. And that's the fundamental thing with these is you're still punching a giant hole in the air with this gigantic vehicle. It's not efficient. It's just electric. And so you're, it's like you have a single guy probably commuting to a job 20 to 40 minutes away, but wants a big vehicle because they can see over the road, maybe to compensate for shortcomings. And so they could buy an F-150 or they can buy a Tesla truck, probably different people buy these things, but ultimately you're still moving a whole lot of mass disrupt uh, disrupting a lot of air and using a lot of energy to do so. And it doesn't really matter if it's gas or electric. Obviously, electric's better for the environment, but you're still using a lot of electricity. They'd be better off driving small vehicles that use less energy to pass through with less weight, passing through less air. But it's not a game changer as long as people decide that they want to adopt it. So are there environmentalists or people that are class sensitive or that are interested in this thing that are more interested in this than they would a Tesla Model Y, which is their best-selling vehicle and a relatively small car? There is a segment of truck owners that you're right, are not construction guys. They just want to own a big truck for whatever reason. And I wonder if that's the market maybe the Cybertruck goes for or just like how Tesla's always sort of catered towards 
higher end rich people. Is this Cybertruck just sort of going to be their little new toy? Look at me. I'm in a Cybertruck. It's different than everybody else. I could theoretically take a shotgun and shoot the side of this thing and it won't even dent because apparently the exoskeleton is bullet and arrow proof and stuff like that. And I could see where this could be something that the rich guy just wants to brag about. You know, just like a lot of rich people are driving way too big in SUVs that they have no utility for, right? They're just driving to work a little bit. But I feel like, though, if that's the case, this is just sort of a look-at-me luxury item and not a practical item. I just would say, like, if you're going to get to a mass market adoption where this can be a super profitable line, you're going to need millions of people to be super interested in your product. But I think you've got to offer some sort of a usability like reason that people are going to want. Well, it's just like Jeeps. People want the perception that they're going off-road and doing crazy Jeep-type stuff. 99% of the time, they're on asphalt. But they want the idea <laughs> that they can be adventurers. And so Tesla just has to sell the idea that you're an adventurous, dynamic, off-roading, camping-type person. But 99% of the time, you're not. I guarantee you I did more off-roading and camping in my Prius in the five years I had it than any truck owner, than almost all truck owners during that time period. Because you, they're just not doing it. They're commuting in it. They're looking at it. They like the perception. They're getting Christmas trees and Costco trips. And they're like, look, I have plenty of space for this giant TV. Yeah, okay. Whatever. Great. Like, it's still, you're driving too much vehicle. And the article goes into the physics of it. It's a 6,000-pound vehicle. Chevy has a similar vehicle called the Hummer electric vehicle that weighs about the same and is the, about, almost about that speed. It's incredibly fast. It's incredibly powerful, but also weighs so much. I mean, we should not allow high school boys to drive that. It's too much mass moving too quickly. It's not going to stop that fast because it's so much mass. Ultimately, my biggest takeaway is there's a lot of people that are going to drive these giant, really heavy vehicles really quickly. And I sure hope they don't crush me in my 2012 Honda Civic. And that's a good point, because there are articles saying, like, look, the roads are probably going to get more dangerous, as you almost need to have bigger, larger cars to deal with the impact of a potential accident with these huge cars and stuff like that. And they were saying that because of the exoskeleton being this such firm material, that if the Cybertruck runs into another car or into a human, like, there's just even less give, and therefore we're probably going to be more dangerous there. You mentioned the idea of the dream, and you're right. SUVs are always marketed as if people are driving around the Alaskan wilderness, going wherever they want. There's that kind of manifest destiny of you go where you want. Nothing can stop you. Your car can drive anywhere. Do you think, though, and this is, I think, part of the design that's so radical with the Cybertruck, I don't get that visual anymore i am thinking of a post-apocalyptic world that i'm driving around <laughs> wanting a machine gun turret and thinking that i'm gonna overrun a roadblock by people that want to get me i mean i'm thinking like the last of us sort of america with the cyber truck that's the visual i'm getting not just me out running a grizzly bear if you know what i'm saying Fair enough. Uh, yeah, maybe people believe that vision and that's why they buy that. I don't think any of those vehicles are going to be the best decision in that situation. They're going to run out of gas or fuel or a charge pretty quickly. They use a whole lot of it. I'd be better off with a motorcycle and a go bag. 
uh, but and then you can get out quickly. And that's what you need. That said, I don't have a motorcycle or a go bag or a truck. <laughs> we have a SUV that seats eight, and I've pulled some really big, heavy equipment with it, and I, I've done a lot with it. But I don't need this vehicle. It's just it, it's a luxury that people have, and the perception is they're a big, powerful person. But you're right; the collisions and the the ultimate effects are there. So it just makes me a little bit nervous to be near this thing on the road, traveling at very rapid speeds and weighing a ton. I'm yes. sorry, three three tons. Well, I mean, me and my tiny little minivan that I have, I just feel like we're going to get dwarfed. And uh, mm -hmm. and the guy in there is just going to steer me down, I guess. Although, you know, he might be my neighbor, just sort of driving around the cul-de-sac in a way too uh, big vehicle. Yeah, it's cool looking though, Zach. I like it. I just don't see myself purchasing it. I can't see the need. I can't say it's cool yet. I, I, I guess I keep saying like right now, I'm not ready to buy into it. I guess I'm Mr conservative car guy but maybe in a couple more weeks or months of, of starting to see them i will change my perception i want to have an open mind on this and i do i need to get close to one i think i was on the freeway next to it and i was wish i was standing next to it but it wasn't as tall as i thought and um i'd like to sit in one as i as we've talked about before i drove a tesla model y and it was amazing it was a great vehicle it's just not in the uh, area where I want to purchase a vehicle for that level of price. But um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I don't know if it'll be widely adopted. You're not going to bring it to Europe. It's just a United States thing. But that's what big trucks are. They're very profitable for GM, Chevy, and and Chrysler or Dodge or Solantis. But the uh, I think we'll find out soon. I think they have the attention of GM and uh, Ford, though, because GM and Ford are all in on electric trucks because they're afraid of Tesla. So somebody's certain it's going to be a problem. They said that it won't be going to Europe because they can't pass all the European regulations for materials that cars are allowed to be made of on roads because the Europeans are worried about an increase in death and traffic accidents and stuff like that. Absolutely, because you can't, Europeans insist that the car has to be built so that the bumper is less deadly to pedestrians. In America, we don't care about that at all. That's not even a standard. <laughs> and by the way, pedestrian deaths are at an all-time high. Even with all the technology new cars have, they're still killing pedestrians more than ever before. And if you walk by a big Chevy SUV with a hood that's about five, six, you realize that the average, uh, the average woman and most people would be below that and unseeable from the hood. So yeah, it, the people are driving vehicles that are way too big. It makes no sense except for to people's uh, basic instincts of big, better, powerful, more space. And I'm a six foot six guy in a tiny Honda Civic, and I don't get it. Well, it makes no sense unless you're the one in the big car. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, it still makes sense. I've driven my friend's truck around and I love driving. It's really cool, but pulling into the Trader Joe's parking lot or just, it's just, there's not a lot of space. I'm like, oh, this is just hard to maneuver around. I love the idea of it, but I just can't see myself using it. Even with the big construction projects I've done, I've only rarely had to rent a truck. It is, uh, it's, it's not something that I need. Yes. Well, the standard kind of stats, they said 340 mile range, of course, uh, zero to 60 in 2.6 seconds. But I was curious about your opinion. Which of these new features on this truck do you think is the coolest or the one that would like really make you want to buy it? So 
apparently there's one windshield wiper that's several feet long that just like swoops off liquids. Apparently the, the Tesla even hinted they were uh, trying some sort of a laser thing to do uh, windshield wipers, but that didn't happen. Uh, it can also serve as a brief boat that can cross rivers and lakes. Again, it's got a bullet and arrow proof exoskeleton. The glass is like armor and can resist a 70 mile an hour baseball smashing it and it won't crack. It's got acoustic glass so that it's super quiet on the inside. And then also the truck bed itself has what's called a vault bed, which can be covered by an automatic like covering. Which of those uh, features do you think is the coolest? Uh, I, I think it would be the acceleration, but also the guilt-free acceleration. So when I'm driving my car, it's like, well, I want to get good gas mileage. I'm cheap, and I want to prevent climate change, so I don't accelerate super fast. I try to drive fairly efficiently. If I had an electric vehicle, I'd floor it every single light. Like every time the light turned green, I would absolutely <laughs> floor it because I'm just using electrons. I'm not generating a lot of extra carbon. I can pretend that all the electrons are made from renewable energy and I can just be like, all right, yeah, why not? I'm not damaging the engine. I'm not contributing or I'm not creating problems. I could just floor it every single light. And that's my children realized that I shouldn't get Teslas when I had them in the car for the test drive of the Model Y that I was flooring at every light. And they're like, oh my God, I'm gonna be sick. You're just flying. I'm not speeding. I'm just accelerating really fast. And God, I'll tell you, Zach, I would do it every single time. <laughs> I would say that it's the armor glass that is most impressive to me. Two weeks ago, uh, two kids were just kind of playing around our car with a golf ball. And, you know, an accident happened. The golf ball smashed our glass and we had to get it replaced. And I just kept thinking, like, how has glass technology got, not gotten any better at this point. And when, when we took it in to get the uh, the glass replaced, I just asked the guy, like, has glass technology changed? He's like, oh, God, no. And um, if anything, though, there's a billion different sensors now on the glass, so it can get super expensive to replace a windshield. I think that would be something I'd love to see in all cars is an armored glass that can withstand a lot more and not dent. I hope it was a side window if your car to need that broke because those are easy to replace. But yeah, the windshield, like your friend is telling you, it's that's very expensive with all the sensors built in there. So yeah, that would be neat. Uh, it'd be nice not to get dinged up by car doors in a parking lot, especially if you're driving a gigantic vehicle. I, I uh, grocery carts can't bump into it and cause problems. But uh, yeah, no, I I think it's the nature of the electric vehicle that I would be super interested in. Now, you know, back in the day, you'd have some punks that might take their keys out and like key your car a little bit and scratch it up. Do you think the Cybertruck just invites punks that want to see if they can like scratch your side now and stuff like that? Uh, maybe. There's a whole series, though, of like you can look at videos on YouTube of. So when your Tesla's plugged in, there's a camera watching it all the time of make sure nobody unplugs it. And then you can catch your neighbors who are uh, diehard ICE people, internal combustion engine people, and they unplug your Tesla. Then you can confront your neighbor from plugging your Tesla. So uh, that's the punk thing they're likely to do. Or you park your big diesel truck in front of the Tesla charger just to uh, create havoc. I mean, that's what I think is more likely than keying it. Maybe they're going to key it. I don't know. I, I drive a dirty car that's not super... Uh, Super nice. I'm not even sure I'd notice if somebody keyed my car. 
the the articles seem to hint that buying a car is in some ways becoming more and more of a political statement whether uh you know you 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 see the world through a liberal lens or a conservative lens and certain cars can represent possibly some of your political values and the author kind of was wondering where do you think the cyber truck might sort of fall and again given that it's sort of built for a post apocalyptic world uh, you know, both political parties seem to believe the world's ending for very different reasons. Do you think <laughs> one side or the other will adopt it? It is electric, and therefore that that tends to be uh, maybe more of an environmentalist idea. But at the same time, it is a truck, and it's large, and that might uh, fall more towards the conservative side in some aspects. Do you do you see a side? I think it'll be environmentalist type people that just want a truck. I think there's a lot of people, especially men, that want to drive a big old vehicle. But also, increasingly, the soccer mom people like to drive a really big vehicle. So if you're environmental and you want a really big vehicle and you have a very high income, then, yeah, maybe this is you. Uh, I think it's uh, conservatives. It seems antithetical for them to do electric cars. They believe it's the enemy. But I don't know. We will see. The only electric car in the parking lot where I work is an ex-military guy. Uh, by averages, he should be conservative. I don't know him that well, but who knows? So let's just say, uh, you know, you, you fall into uh, $100,000. It's got to be used for a car. <laughs> you can have any vehicle you want that's currently on the planet. Is Cybertruck number one for you? And you can't be like, well, I'd buy something cheaper and save the money. Like, you got to spend it all. Would you pick Cybertruck as the number one car you could buy? I'm probably not. I'm probably going Lucid Air. Lucid Air. Is that, is that a car or is that like a, it's a trick a car. answer to me? It's even faster, has an electric range of 500 miles, and it's just really cool. And so I, I, it's probably where I'm going with that. Okay. Uh, so would Cybertruck be in the top three? It would be a test drive for sure. I would definitely test drive it. Yes. Maybe that's it. Over the holiday break, maybe you can go in there and uh, demand a test drive. How many yeah, people you just are set doing them up that? Online. You just set up a test drive online. You go, it's free. They don't try to pressure you. It's not like going to a normal dealership. You should do it if you got downtime. Go test drive a Tesla. It's fun. All right. Maybe I'll uh, I'll report back. Yeah. You're going to be in a market for a big vehicle before me, Zach. That's true. My van uh, just hit 165,000 miles. I'm hoping I can get 200 and then just uh, keep living off of borrowed time. But uh, maybe in a couple of years, I'll be a Cybertruck 2.0 guy. If you're still driving that van at 200 all the way down to Florida nonstop, I'm, you're, I'm impressed. You, you have a lot of faith in Honda engineering. And I have a lot of faith in Honda engineering, but I'm just sure I have that much faith. It's called faith in AAA. AAA <laughs> just helps you with a with a blown tire. It doesn't solve your problem if you're stranded in the middle of Georgia and you have to be at school tomorrow. This is true. We'll uh, we'll we'll you know we'll solve those issues when we get to them. <laughs> well, the other issue is besides the new Cybertruck that kids come out is McDonald's has decided that it's time to improve the Big Mac, I think probably their highest selling hamburger of all time, their iconic product that pretty much anybody around the world has probably at least heard of, if not tried. And here's the best paragraph I read. McDonald's decided it's had enough with dry patties and squishy buns. For the past seven years, the chain that made its name on burgers has been on a quest to improve its signature offering. The changes are now rolling out in the U.S., including on its Big Mac, 
The two all-beef patties are cooked in smaller batches for a more uniform sear. There's more special sauce. The lettuce, cheese, and pickles have been rethought to be fresher and meltier. And the bun is now on a buttery brioche with the sesame seeds more randomly scattered for a homemade look. The more than 50 tweaks on its burger add up to the Chicago-based company's biggest upgrades in decades to its core menus. And Don, like, what do you think about this? Is this a big deal that the iconic Big Mac is being improved? Is this not a big deal? Do you think people are going to care? I'm sure they're going to care. It's a big risk changing your best seller. I mean, that's a, that could be, we all remember the story of New Coke in the uh, late 80s. New Coke came around and quickly and failed, and quickly they had to bring out Coca-Cola Classic, which is what the Coke is now. I was a fan of Coca-Cola Classic. I didn't like the New Coke. Um, now I don't drink pop much, and I don't eat burgers that often. But if I eat a burger, it's going to be a really good burger, like a Shake Shack burger or a Five Guys burger or In-N-Out burger if I'm in the area. So I've not eaten a Big Mac in quite some time. They're taking a big swing here because McDonald's rests heavily on their their heavy users, the people that go several times a week. And if they lose those people, it could be in trouble. Even if they gain me going there, which I don't think they're going to, but once a month, <laughs> they're not going to, their their big thing is they got to keep their consistent users consistent. So it's taken a big swing. And I, I appreciate they're taking that risk. They've had some successful ventures in the past, and I think they've done well by going to coffees and stuff like that. But I don't know, Zach, it's a big risk. We might see the Big Mac Classic hitting the menus if not too long, if this doesn't work out. <laughs> the Big Mac classic. I think you make a really good point of, are they going to alienate the core customer? Although McDonald's seems to recognize our Big Mac is really mediocre and we actually need to make it taste better. But therefore, does the alien, does the core customer expect just a mediocre burger and they're going to be upset because it actually tastes better? Well, they could be upset if they realize that this isn't what they're anticipating. And uh, yes. that's what really McDonald's about is fulfilling the anticipation. And if people anticipate this and they don't get it and they don't like it, then they're going to find themselves back pretty quick. So I don't know. We will see. I think everybody appreciates a better burger. But if they want a better burger and they don't have to pay a better price, a bigger price, then it's worth it. I mean, five guys is expensive, but it's good. And I'm willing to pay the more, so we go to Five Guys if we're doing burgers. But that said, if you can get a good, better burger for the same price, or relatively the same price, maybe that brings more people to McDonald's and more revenue, and that's a win for them. It's interesting, though, because McDonald's has always been the value play. Uh, you're going to get in there. You're going to get something quick. It's going to have a certain taste. You're right. The anticipation is probably more than if it's actually good. It's just that, like, did it taste like you hoped it was going to? And therefore, like, it's an interesting idea. And, and you're right. Like, maybe it actually doesn't matter if it actually tastes good and stuff like that. At the same time, like, these are smart people that spend millions of dollars every year researching things. And clearly, McDonald's must have thought something's not right. In fact, I wanted to read you another paragraph from this article. And they said, Earlier this year, McDonald's came in 13th among U.S. chains based on the number of recent customers calling their burgers desirable, with only 28% of respondents saying they crave them, according to a survey of about 49,000 consumers by market research firm Technomic. White Castle led the list with 72%, and Burger King followed at 52%. 
Sales for higher-end, fast, casual burger chains are growing faster than traditional players, Technomics said. Newer chains like Smashburger, Five Guys, and Shake Check have popularized the Smashburger technique, placing a round wad of beef on a hot grill and mashing it with a flat spatula to produce thin, flavorable patties. So, Don, like, you're right. It doesn't seem like anybody actually desires a McDonald's burger, yet lots of people go there. And that's been the case for a long, long time. Consumer Reports has always rated uh, McDonald's burgers near the bottom. But people still went there, which gives you, I don't know, <laughs> maybe it makes you take a dim view of the American public. Maybe it makes you respect the brand and the process that everything else about it must be great and that people still go there. But um, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong improving their product. I just don't get it why people go to McDonald's all the time. If I'm going to get a burger, I'm going to get a good one. Or, and it's going to be more expensive. But if I'm out West, if I go to In-N-Out Burger, that place is just packed. No new items, fantastic tasting food. Like that's the, that's the win for me. But that's not what the McDonald's play has always been. So maybe they're trying to steal. Hopefully it's a success and it brings them more value and that'll be great. But I don't know. I, I don't know why people go to McDonald's if the food's not good. The process of ordering and picking up must just be fluid and consistent and fantastic because other, in other areas, it's not measurably great. No, but it's cheaper. You've got that dollar menu, which I think it signals to a lot of people, hey, we can get this. McDonald's knows once they get them, then they'll probably end up spending even more on other things. I also think that kids easily just recognize McDonald's and that's what they want. I think families make a lot of choices on making sure everybody can be happy. I noticed too in the article, they said that like McDonald's is going to be bringing back the Hamburglar and Grimace and some of their like cartoon characters that probably, you know, kind of uh, brainwashed a generation into thinking McDonald's was healthy and stuff like that. All those people seem to be coming back and it just seems like it's an interesting way for McDonald's to fight. At the same time, like McDonald's has been doing well. They said since the pandemic, they really noticed an uptick in customers and people are, are, are back kind of buying their product. And therefore it's not like they were like far behind in the race and they had to do something dramatic like change the core menu item, which I think is interesting. Yeah, um, they they are doing something right. And uh, I, I just, you know, I don't know. I talked to a woman one time and she's saying that she loves fountain soda and that on her husband's way home from work, she'll often ask him to stop and get fountain soda at McDonald's for her. She doesn't like the canned Diet Coke, the bottle Diet Coke. She wants it from the fountain. I'm like, all right, that's your thing. Great. Like, I certainly have my things, and I occasionally bend an elbow, but it's not fountain soda. So to each their <laughs> own. I, I would actually agree, though. McDonald's Coke does taste better than, like, from a can or a bottle that you get at home, and even from other places. And I don't know if they just played with their syrup ratio to water uh, just better than anybody else. But I can see that. There's a lot of people I know that prefer it. And maybe that's the little things that they've mastered and they should get tremendous credit for doing so. Yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting because they said that they've spent a couple years testing out the new Big Mac in Australia. Normally you hear of like McDonald's picking some franchisees around America to do small market tests before they bring anything big. Do you think something like the Big Mac is so important that they couldn't screw it up or alienate anybody in America, but they were willing to be like, well, Australia is a small market. If we make them mad, we'll be okay. But we can't even let this out anywhere in America. 
Yeah, there's a lag there between when the Australians try it and Americans find out about it. It's a long trip. It takes a long time for those uh, tweets to get through. So maybe it's a good spot to test it out. Maybe they test everything in Australia. Who knows? Are they our guinea pigs, Zach? It's possible, or at least something for this. I mean, there must be some link, and i got to assume they've got a piece of data that says the people of Australia and America are very similar when it comes to their preferences about the Big Mac, and that's the place to... Uh, uh, to think about it and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, when they came down to like, what are some of these changes? As they said, over 50 different changes. Uh, one, they're going with a brioche bun um, and they're sliced for a thicker bottom. So I, I, they even said in the article, like the number of buns they went through and you could almost see some chef like slicing buns at every angle and uh, to try to decide how much should the bottom be versus the top. I do kind of get excited when I think about like that attention to detail, if you know what I'm saying. Well, it's not the first time we've talked about it in the, uh, we talked about that with Taco Bell and uh, how they got their new uh, new item, menu items. I mean, yeah, people are mastering it. They should. It's not all that different from Tesla making sure that their body panels are perfect and their burgers got to be perfect at McDonald's and there's money on the line. You want to get it right. And a lot of respect to that, but it's as due process. There's a lot on the line here. So I'm not surprised at all. They, they said the onions are now going to be dehydrated. They get rehydrated in the restaurant, and then they get put into like a, a salt or pepper shaker. Uh, lettuce and pickles are now going to be stored in smaller containers so that the crews have to refresh them more often so that they taste fresher. It's interesting, like just how complicated the supply lines are. And as you've always said, getting the average McDonald's worker to then be able to handle these sorts of changes uh, is kind of impressive. And this already is, in a sense, how I think it's not impressive. Go to In-N-Out Burger. There's somebody slicing fresh onions, a human slicing onions, a human slicing potatoes, human slicing real tomatoes, Those and it's fresh buns. Like, I, I'm in. I'm all in there. I don't want this McDonald's burger. I've officially decided I'm out. To quote the Wall Street Journal, you mean you're not impressed when the company has calibrated the gap on the metal clamshell that presses the burgers on the grill down to the millimeter to avoid pressing too hard and squeezing out the juices. You're not impressed by that? I appreciate the efficiency. I'm not anticipating the flavor. What about the fact that you're now going to get a half an ounce of the special sauce instead of one third an ounce? Does that make you excited? No. The cheese is taken out of refrigerators ahead of time so that it will melt more easily. <laughs> Still not impressed. I, I, I just, I want the crunch of the onions. Give me fresh onions. Give, give me a fresh tomato. Give me good lettuce. Like, come on, let's go. Let's do this. And that's not super hard. Any local burger place will do that and do fine. It's not hard to make great burgers. What about the fact that it's mentioned multiple times this article, they're going to emphasize people cleaning out the toaster so that the buns can toast better? Yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate the large scale of it, but I, I just don't think it's going to make a tremendous difference in making it better than the burger I can get at 
old Detroit burger bar in Lake Orion or a local bar near me, or more importantly, in my kitchen where I can get an onion and slice it. And I could make burgers in like 10 minutes. It's not hard to make a good burger. By the time I drive McDonald's and drive back to my house and get my food, I could have made better burgers at my house. It's not that hard. I don't get it. No, that's a good point. And, and, and shout out to my my good friend, Ben Tebbett, who I think makes the world's best hamburger, which he makes a smash burger. Have you tried smash burgers? Like to me, it's it's like the best burger out there now at this point. For Christmas last year, my younger son got me a cookbook and um, it is really good. And we've done smash burgers a bunch of time. Fills the house with smoke. That's the downside. You want to do it on a, with the windows open day. But it is, uh, yeah, it's delicious. It's solid. I like it. Yeah, locks in the flavor. Uh, and I know that that's like what Culver's and other places are trying to do. And it's kind of interesting that McDonald's hasn't, I guess, gone there, but they probably can't figure out how to automate it enough and stuff like that. No, you need an actual human on a grill. And then you have a tremendous risk. What if that human doesn't cook the burgers properly and it's raw and somebody gets sick? Now you're like got a huge PR problem and a customer problem. So you're taking a huge risk when you let humans cook the burgers. And so, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. You got to make sure it's right. And so then you got to, and so that's what uh, you're looking at. And I'm sure McDonald's fears. It's why Chipotle no longer cooks their beef on site is because people got sick because they got salmonella. They got salmonella because people were touching the raw, be raw beef and then not washing their hands and touching the raw onions. And then they get the tr salmonella transferred from the raw beef, which almost always has salmonella, to the onions, which isn't cooked, and then onto the burritos. So you have to have people there that you've trained and are trust to handle raw meat properly and not cross-contaminate and not cook and not cook nearly in, ugh, imperfectly and therefore make problems. So yeah, it's a, it's a, you can prevent all that stuff if you do what McDonald's is doing. And sure, I respect the hustle in terms of not making people sick and being con and being consistent in your quality. I just don't think the quality is that good. I can do better at home. I can do better at uh, five guys a mile south of my house. I can do better at Shake Shack a mile north of my house, but I'm most likely to do it at home where I can buy Costco beef for a dollar for uh, ten, what is it? $10 a pound or no, something less than that. Anyway, I could buy beef and make it my own burgers and they'll be better. No, I, I think you're right. I, I would fully agree with you that the <laughs> moment you're not afraid to start cooking and experimenting and playing, often you say, I'm eating better than I am at a restaurant and stuff like that. And cheaper. And cheaper. I, I would say that I'm amazed at the emphasis on cleaning out the toaster. And I guess I just felt like that seemed like something they could have solved 20 years ago. Yeah. Part of making the smash burger is you put, uh, you put mayonnaise on the buns and then you grill the buns with the mayonnaise side down. And that's a big, people like that a lot or they don't. My wife hates it. Most people like it. Gives a little crunch. Yeah, the, the grilled the grilled buns seem to be a big deal. For a while, McDonald's stopped doing it for efficiency purposes, they said, and now they're back because I think it does add a better bite. And you do realize, like, these guys are thinking about every aspect, and we'll see if people notice. I, I guess I got to get out to McDonald's and actually try a hamburger. The article said that 68% of Americans eat a burger at a fast food restaurant once a month. Do you fit into that category, Don? 
Uh, I don't think so. Uh, there are times where we're busy and we'll hit a five guys once a month, but it's not every month. I would say I average five a year, and uh, it's usually five guys or Shake Shack because we just find it really tasty. It's taste, not the speed or the price that motivate us. We're very wealthy, Zach. We're both teachers. We, we, we're very, <laughs> very wealthy. We can afford to eat good burgers. Well, that's the thing now about like going to a five guys or any of those kind of, um, you know, fast casual, right. Where you're going to do a little more sitting and, and stuff like that is that is not a cheap meal anymore. I mean, it used to be like, Oh, we'll get in there for maybe 20, 25 bucks. And like that you're almost at 40, 50, $60 by the time you get out of those places now. Yes. And you have two little girls. I have two teenage boys. <laughs> you're getting out even worse than I am at this point. <laughs> Yeah, there's it's once I go back to once we go back to paying for two people, it'll be two <laughs> nearly elderly people. Our prices are going to our costs are really going to fall. Yes, yes. And you'll be able to get those McDonald's fountain Cokes and put them in your large oh, cup holders oh, oh. in your cyber truck. Ugh, ugh. I have not had a fountain pop in a long time. No, thanks. <laughs> Well, they said that the uh, fast food burger market is $136 billion in sales worldwide. You can see why McDonald's uh, would be putting in a lot of time. And therefore, I guess I go back to the original question, Don. What's a bigger deal, the new Cybertruck or the improved Big Mac? Uh, I think it's the Cybertruck because it has the bigger potential impact. And you can see that with the products GM and Ford are rolling out and the anticipation of how this will change the game as Tesla really has changed the game in the car market, just like Elon Musk changed with SpaceX to the better and Twitter to the train wreck. But um, I think that's the bigger thing because the Big Mac, although there's a lot of sunken costs here, if it fails, Big Mac Classic's coming out next week. <laughs> How do you sell that? Hey, everybody, we're going to microwave your burger more. <laughs> we're going to start to not clean out the toaster. Uh, we went and got our pickles from Costco again. I mean, really, when you think about it, like we're going to just like make this automated lame burger again and people will be happy with that. Yes, they were loved Coca-Cola Classic when it came back. It's just a weird thing. Like we're going to stop trying and more people are going to be excited about that. Yeah, but hey, when they bring back the uh, the the whatever is that green the shamrock shake, people are excited. People like the McRib when it comes back. I and people like every the pumpkin spice when it comes back. It's just coming back. People love it. No, they they do, but you don't brag about how little effort you're putting into preparing that food. And by going back on a Big Mac. You're not just saying, hey, we tweaked the chemical in the Coke like you did with new Coke or something. You're literally saying we're going to go back to trying less and just doing mediocre food because that's what you expect from us. Yeah, I don't think that's where they're going to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you sell that one then. I would love to hear the advertising uh, you know, campaign or marketing firm that's going to be like, hey, Convince America that we're going back to the Big Mac, even though we just bragged to America about how much more we're trying. Yeah. I don't know. I would argue that the improved Big Mac is a bigger deal because immediately millions of people are going to be eating it, consuming it, and, and feeling something, whether or not it's happiness or displeasure. Whereas the Cybertruck thing is going to take a while. 
I'm going to kind of go that the Cybertruck is going to be like the iWatch. The iWatch came out and everybody immediately wanted to be like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. No one really cares. And then 10 years later, lots of people have iWatches. And I kind of feel like we're going to see a slow build on the Cybertruck. Whereas right away, the world is going to be impacted by this new Big Mac. I'll agree with you on that. That Fair said, enough. I'm glad to have my Apple Watch die. Oh, really? Yeah, it died. Love it. Gone. I'm so happy to be back to a uh, old traditional watch, just like the one I wore 20 years ago. Stop telling me to do stuff, Apple. Leave me alone. I needed to be able to not pay attention to my phone. I need to be able to not know how many calories I'm burning. Oh, this seems like another episode. I got to do a deep dive on your on your feelings of um, uh, of the iWatch like this. I, I didn't know that you had such strong feelings. I didn't know either until it died. And then I was like, this is so much better. So much better. Huh. Okay. Well, maybe uh, you're right. Maybe you're going to get to a McDonald's and you'll have one of these Big Macs. And you're going to say, I didn't know I needed this, but it is so much better. It seems unlikely, but could be, could be, Zach. I don't know. Maybe I'll be struck in a food desert and there'll be only a uh, McDonald's and nothing else around. And I'll be starving. I don't know. You know, every once in a while, I feel like as a kid, you you saw some like news report, local news of the, the local trucker that was cooking his hamburgers inside the engine of his truck while it drove. <laughs> yes. Will I be able to reheat or cook my Big Mac in my cyber truck? I'm sure you can. Uh, the Rivian truck, which is a competitor to the Cybertruck, has a built-in kitchen option where you can just slide out this kitchen that comes with it. So you have your built-in kitchen, which would be great for tailgates and camping. Yeah, but I want to be resourceful and use the engine and have diesel on my cheese or something. There's no engine in the Cybertruck, just a yeah. motor, four of them. Well, we'll have to monitor this and maybe we can revisit and see who won in a couple of months. Uh, but Don, it's been a pleasure talking this week and I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. Have a good one. Take care.